When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. All right, it is here. Football, finally, the real thing. Welcome in to Purple Daily. A beautiful day outside, a beautiful day in our lives. Football is back, training camp for the Vikings. We were out at TCO Performance Center today, and there were people on the field with football helmets, and there were contraptions that they were using to get better at football, and there were coaches coaching football. Courtney, it was a wonderful feeling. It was. Um, It's not real yet to me, though. I think it takes me a little bit to get into football mode. Pads and, popping? Do you need pads popping? They weren't wearing pads. So, right, that's um, what I mean, like to get into it officially. I mean, I need to hear grunting. I need to hear pads popping. I need to I need to see guys. I need to see the Oklahoma drill, actually. Do they do that in the uh, NFL no, they anymore? Ah, uh, good. Okay. Sorry. Um, no, I know I mean, it was your favorite. It really was. That was old school, about as old school as you can get. But it's weird that it's back. It's weird that by Friday, every team is going to be all in with all their veterans in camp. And, uh, you know, we're just a couple days away from that happening for the Vikings. But rookies, quarterbacks, a select few veterans here and there, Mike Boone, Tyler Conklin, Richard Cliette. Uh, among the ones that I counted out at Vikings practice, uh, and the through. QBs and the quarterbacks. Yes. Um, I think I said that, but uh, did you? I don't remember. Okay, I'm sorry if you did. That's okay. Um, anyways, no, I mean it's uh, they're back. Football's back, and what you and I have talked about is kind of like there's a dread, and there's also a good part of it that this is the last weekend we last week we have where there's no football game until February 2020. That's kind of daunting when you think about it, isn't it? It is. It is. Um, and of course we'll be covering it all the way to the end with this Minnesota Vikings team, right? In yeah. February, 2020, of course. Uh, before we talk about Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer's answers about expectations, which are obviously very high. Let's talk since the rookies are here today, about the rookies a little bit to begin. And I thought it was very interesting, Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer talking about Garrett Bradbury and especially what Zimmer had to say about Bradbury's disposition and just sort of how he goes about his business and the task that he's going to be facing here to be a rookie center. We saw Pat Elfline handle it pretty well two years ago. I I would say really well in his rookie season. And then we know the struggles that he went through. But now they're asking another rookie to rise to the task in an incredibly difficult division and be a good player for this team because I think everyone went into the season knowing that the offensive line has to be a lot better, and that starts with Garrett Bradbury. And we went into the season knowing that Garrett Bradbury is going to be the starting center. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. They drafted him at 18 to fulfill that role, to move Pat Alfline over to left guard. Um, and yes, the veterans aren't here yet, so we won't get to see what Garrett Bradbury Barry is like being thrown into the fire, I guess, in his first training camp practice or the first time they ever go full speed. Um, But Mike Zimmer talking about the workload for Garrett Bradbury said that he's going to have a big load, which I think is the difference from where Pat Elfline was two years ago, because he had really, he has really high, heavy shoe, big shoes to fill in that sense, because all things considered, I know that Pat Alfine has struggled the last few years. He's of injuries, and then what happened last season, just not great. Um, he had a pretty good rookie season at center. So I think Bradbury, the ceiling's there 
for him as a player, but there's also he's got big shoes to fill there. But even back in camp, I mean, you think back to the 2017 preseason, they were mixing around. They were, you know, it was a little bit of Joe Berger here, it's a little bit of Nick Easton at center. We know Garrett Bradbury is a starting center, so I wonder what that's going to do to the offensive line continuity going forward. Um, that they might that might actually set them ahead for a unit that's been reshaped, reworked, uh, whatever other adjective you want to use to describe like what happened to this unit this offseason. And Bradbury is literally and figuratively at the center of it. Wow. Anyway. <laughs> I mean, I'm in mid-season form with my puns. Yeah, e- even that one kind of hit me like, wow, okay, we're in real season now if you've got that pun going on. Um, okay, so here's the question about Garrett Bradbury, though is what kind of transition is it really for a rookie offensive lineman to step in and make a huge difference? Because you're talking about a position that's very complicated. And even if he's a very smart player, Mike Zimmer called him brilliant, I think, today. And and so they've had a lot of praise for Garrett Bradbury as a player and and just talked about how he's a perfect fit for the zone scheme and how smart he is and and all these things. And and I buy it. I mean, he's a first-round pick for a center, which is very rare. You don't see that very often that – First round uh, centers just don't get taken much. It's usually second round, third round to fill that position. So it's got to be someone who's really exceptional. But at the same time, you're asking a lot. And even though it's a little bit of a different situation, like you said in 2017, where they were battling all through camp, Nick Easton would play center sometimes, and then uh, Elfline would switch in and out, and then Alex Boone was in the mix there, and he ends up getting let go. So that was kind of messy. Uh, and last year was kind of messy, too, because Elfline couldn't even practice the entire time during training camp. So now having your five offensive linemen come into camp healthy and together with Garrett Bradbury, I think that that helps. But you're still talking about a really difficult transition and a complicated position where you have to call out protections and you have to be on the right page with the quarterback all the time. I think that... Drafting someone with the expectation that they're going to be great right away is always kind of risky. People want this offensive line to be fixed right away. They want to know that it's better in 2019 than it was in 18 and even before that. I wrote something this morning just kind of laying out, like, we don't know. We know a few things about this offensive line really and truly about personnel that are going to stick and some that might not, i.e. the position battle that could potentially be taking place at right guard. Um What we don't know is how well Garrett Bradbury is going to adapt, how quickly it's going to happen, if his size is going to be a factor, uh, you know, against a pass rush, is that going to be something that takes him longer to adjust to? Because we know he's athletic as hell. That's not the that's not the issue. It's just he's Mm -hmm. a little undersized for the position, Um, which is why training camp. I always caution people like. This is a learning process for that unit to come together. I mean, the Vikings tried a group of multiple five different of combinations of the starting five throughout uh, all four preseason games in the 2017 season before they settled on what they had going into that into the regular season. So that's not going to be the case here. But I think just the fact of the matter is new offensive line coach with a new scheme that they really are going to try to stick to the zone running scheme this year. I know they said they wanted to do it last year, but it really never panned out. Um, And so with a guy like Garrett, who has played this position before, but to translate that to the NFL, the benefit he's going to have most is the same thing Pat Elfline had in 2017 two guys on his right and left who have played center before in Joe Berger and in Nick Easton. Well, I don't think Josh Klein's played center ever in the NFL. I know that he has the most consecutive starts of any right guard in the NFL. I think it's like 38. Mm-hmm. But to his left, I mean, Pat Elfline's played center. Right. And when I spoke with Pat Elfline a few years ago for a story um, just about kind of his transition, he said that there were times where Nick Easton was yelling out the call um, and that the times he'd look to his left or his right and, and get some last second help. And I asked Mike Zimmer about that today, just a benefit that Elfline's going to be able to provide for Garrett Bradbury as he gets comfortable. That's what I'm going to be looking for during camp, the communication, because um, last year it didn't work. And, you know, what Kirk Cousins like publicly said, you know, Nick Easton was snapping the ball too fast or too high or whatever it was. Um, and, you know, Kirk's going to be the one, Zimmer said, you know, adjusting some of the calls too and making sure that Bradbury's uh, on point. So, I mean, to me, that's one of the things as you're looking to see, okay, is this unit ready to play together? Are they going to be better? 
that communication with a rookie center who's being asked to do a ton um, and the expectations are high for him as it is, that's where I think the focal point goes to first. So I was thinking about something that Rick Spielman said during his press conference today where he kind of alluded to younger players giving some of the other veterans on the offensive line a run. So the only veterans that you have on the offensive line are Riley Reef and uh, Josh Klein. I still consider Pat Elfline to be a very young yeah. player going into his third year, and of course Brian O'Neill going into his second year. I was just pulling up Josh Klein's contract, and this is not a contract you could get yourself out of. No, and I he does have like what seven point six two five. It's just over seven million guaranteed of a fifteen over fifteen million dollar contract. So. He is going to be on this roster. There's no doubt about that unless they were somehow able to get something else out of a trade or whatever. They're not going to cut him. But I don't think he's any lock right now to start at right guard. They knew that they got a lower, mid to lower tier starter. Somebody who has publicly said that he has had some issues in the past with his technique. He definitely did last year. Um, he saw his pro football focus grade go down quite a bit. In fact, he was graded lower than Mike Remmers yeah, was he last had, year. Remmers gave up, I think, 42 pressures um, at right guard. Where where was Klein? Somewhere around there, He was too? in that same ballpark. Yeah. Um, but the overall grade of putting in the run blocking and the pass blocking together, because I think that Remmers was actually a decent run blocker, but was not so great when it came to the pass blocking. But when I went back and watched a couple of Klein's games, I really noticed him getting plowed back into the quarterback by um, much bigger defensive linemen. Like when they play Jacksonville, they have a really good defensive line, and he kind of got mauled. And they were playing a similar system, and he didn't have a great year. But from his contract number, they just can't get out of this right now. In fact, even next year, it wouldn't be very advantageous. It's really not till 2021 that they could move on from him, but... I think Drew Samia becomes a really interesting guy to watch throughout this camp, along with Aviant Collins, but especially their fourth-round pick, Drew Samia, because he's got an opportunity to come here and challenge Josh Klein. If Klein does not play well and doesn't look very good, and we've seen, by the way, 30-year-old offensive linemen who sign for cheap free agent contracts do not always work out. We've seen that here with Alex Boone. We've seen that in a number of other places, too, last year. I went back and looked at all the free agents who signed, and there were a lot of nightmare stories and not a ton of success stories. I wouldn't be surprised. But the other thing that came to mind for me was Riley Reef. here. Mm-hmm. Is I, I thought Riley Reef had a pretty tough season last year, especially when it came to pass blocking. And I wondered, is there anybody behind Riley Reef and Brian O'Neill that could make this thing interesting at left tackle. I don't think so because your tackles are your tackle options are Aviant Collins and Rashad Hill. Do you think either of them are anything more than a swing tackle at best or on a fill-in basis cuz I don't. No, I, mean, I don't. I'm sure our listeners would love us to talk about uh, Trent Williams potentially holding out for a new contract. <laughs> yes, being traded, um, I got that. And being yesterday. traded, yeah, I think I've got that about five times since uh, that news came out of Washington, and even more beyond that in the off season. But I have a hard time thinking about these tackle positions as anything other than what they are. We know Riley Reeves is an above-average starter who has been mostly healthy throughout his time in Minnesota. I think with Brian O'Neill. We haven't seen him yet, but uh, there'll be a chance that he's probably put some more weight on his frame. I mean, he needed another year in a program to be able just to be a size of a normal right tackle in the NFL. I mean, he was thrown into the fire six weeks into the season last year and kind of had to learn on the fly. But really and truly, they have a lot of guard depth this year. It's a good thing on the interior because that was the biggest issue last year, all the pressures that came up through the middle of the field. Um, And for Kirk Cousins, that's where he, you know, the pass rush really got to him. Tackle spots, though, there's not a lot of depth there, so it's kind of what you see is what you get with this team, and what you have is what you have. Teams don't have extra tackles to go around. Like, I know last year when, you know, Rashad Hill was starting at right tackle, and I mean, he got hurt in camp and was banged up, and people were asking, okay, well, what about the Remmers experiment? Like, if, if they don't move him back to right tackle, why don't they just go out and get another one? Like, 
people don't have extra tackles just sitting around on their roster unless you're Oakland. Like, and I don't even think I, I remember last year. I remember looking at them being like, okay, this is the only team that could possibly part ways with a backup tackle who could potentially start. I don't know if that's the case with them this year. But that's just like not realistic to think that they're going to bring in somebody, especially cap situation um, and just the depth across the league is just not there. Okay, I'll propose you one trade, though. All right. If you were to trade Riley Reef and Laquan Treadwell and Trey Wayans, do you think that they would give you Trent Williams? That would create enough cap space okay, to get cap Trent space. Williams. And you're giving them their starting tackle, a starting corner, and a project wide receiver, if I'm being really polite, for one of the best left tackles in the NFL. I mean, in theory, on paper, I'll agree with it, sure. I'm not it, calling it realistic no. at all. I'm just trying to think of, would there be any scenario where the Washington Football Club would pick up the phone and say, okay, now you've got our interest a little bit with some trade offer that you could make. But I think you'd have to blow them away. I mean, Trent Williams, when he's healthy, is an incredible football player. Sure, but it's just you think about the the X factor in that trade equation would be Trey Waynes because he's in the last year of his contract. He's going to want a big deal next year. Can Washington afford to keep him for that? I mean, you'd you'd imagine that they'd bring him in there with the intent to sign him to an extension, but is it going to be what he wants? I don't know. I mean, if do you have the I don't know what their cap situation is. I think they're in a much better spot than Minnesota. Um But they do have the Alex Smith thing hanging yeah, over. Yeah, like that's them. not I mean, they've got their own set of issues. Um That's the only not, trade I could come up with. I, I mean, there's no I'm trying to is, is there scenario. any other disgruntled tackle, left tackle out there <laughs> no. that's like threatening to hold out for camp? Probably but not. There was one situation fairly recently that I could think of where it did happen and that was Dwayne Brown for mm-hmm. the Houston Texans where it wasn't working out. There was probably a contract situation with them and he got traded to Seattle and that helped the Seahawks offensive line massively. So if there was any sort of scenario that I could come up with, um, by the way, Washington only has $8 million in cap space right now. And that's not a lot, but no. it's better than the situation the Vikings are in right now. Yeah, the Vikings have $5.2 million right now, and Washington only has eight. So if you're going to make it happen, it would have to be very close, money for money. And, and, and not that I'm thinking that you even really make this phone call, but... Maybe you check in just to see, would you guys be interested in this sort of thing? Because to me, Riley Reef is done after this year. It, unless he has an incredible year, just looking at his contract, it would make a lot of sense for them to move on from him, move Brian O'Neill over to left tackle, draft another right tackle, or develop somebody this year that they can slide into that position because you just can't keep everyone with your cap space. And um, if there were some sort of wild deal to be made, that was kind of the only one that I could really come up with is you would have to wow them because you're not giving up a Hall of Fame level left tackle unless you are really getting a lot back, unless you're getting another starting left tackle and a younger player with starting talent and then maybe even something on top of it. So that was the trade that someone on Twitter proposed to me. (laughs) I mean, of course I said, look, I mean, this... This isn't really going to happen. But we'll but, talk about it. But but why not? I mean, we talked about Antonio Brown, potentially. So I think we could talk about this. All right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, I ranked the most interesting positions heading into training camp. And I want you to tell me if I am a dope or if I've got this right. And we can uh, splice in some of the things that we heard from Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman on those positions today. So... It is here. It is football time. ESPN's Courtney Cronin, Matthew Collar here with you. Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never-ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business. Visit federatedinsurance.com to find your local representative federated mutual insurance company it's our business to protect yours
Welcome back into Purple Daily. Matthew Collar and ESPN's Courtney Cronin here. And I am actually breaking a trend here, Courtney. I remembered what my tease was, and we're actually going to do the segment that I said we're going to do. You know, this is a, this is you in midseason form. That's right. That's right. Me I, making puns, you remembering <laughs> to keep us on track. Um, I'm sure that it will only happen every once in a while, but I think I've done it here. You so. are not drained from training camp yet. Like, ask me... August 10th to make some sort of creative joke and I will ask you to remember the segment and both of us will fail. What do you think by August 10th? Like what is the rabbit hole that we end up falling down for storylines? Oh, long snapper battle. 1000%. No way. No. What are you you really going to do something on the long snapper battle? I have to. It's my position. (laughs) It is. I mean, I, if I were to play football, I would be a long snapper. It's, so. it's true. It's, it's the position you care the most about, that you've studied the most, you put the most heart, sweat, tears, blood probably into studying long snapping. And it did come up. Rick Spielman actually brought it up. I thought he was like looking at us kind of kidding, but he wasn't. He's no. really legitimately excited. That I was think the most he knows that that's, today. Yeah, I think he knows that that's like our, that's like our fetish, long sna- <laughs> evaluating long snappers. <laughs> Okay, so now we'll go to what I teased so we don't have to talk about long snapping fetishes anymore. Well, it kind of is part um, of what you teased. It's but. A, yeah, a little bit in terms of the most intriguing positions. I ranked them, mm-hmm. um, and I just want you to tell me if I've got this right. Number one for me was wide receiver. And even though I have said a number of times that the number three wide receiver in this offense is not stupidly important like it is with some other offenses, like the Rams, who use three wide receivers on almost every play, when Cooper Cup went down for them, it was a big loss for the Rams. For the Vikings, I think they're going to use a lot of two tight ends. We've talked about this quite a bit. But here's where it gets really interesting for me, though, Courtney, is if Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs have to miss any time, either one of them, who's going to be the person that they look to for that number three wide receiver? And when I put out my 53-man roster projection, as one does... Oh, yeah. I got uh, mine tomorrow. Oh, you're running yours tomorrow? Yeah. Okay, great. Then we can debate them later yes. on in the week. We can argue over which wide receiver is going to make it. Um, but, I, but I think that because of that, because of there's that scenario where... This person would have to take over a number one or number two wide receiver role in case of uh, emergency, then it's worth watching really closely. So do you have that also as your number one most interesting position? Yes, for the reasons you said, and because really and truly this camp is kind of boring in terms of storylines. Like it's not like... But keep listening. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not trying to like deter anybody from (laughs) paying attention to our coverage, but it's not, there's not like a big sexy position battle like... We know the offensive line's going to be better. We know that. We don't. Last year it was, what the heck is this group doing? You have two catastrophic injuries when, or three, if you want to include Pat Affline, didn't even practice in camp last year. So it was a mishmash. And you're like, okay, are our starters even going to be ready to play week one? Newsflash, they weren't. Um, hmm. And then, you know, outside of that, I can't, I mean, Kirk year one, I think, is more interesting than Kirk year two. Sure, there's the expectations, because if he doesn't do it this year, they're not going to want to resign him, which is why I think number three receiver, uh, you have to have it as your number one position battle, because it's the most intriguing one to watch. And for a team that has Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen, and then such a drop-off in talent, it's difficult to to think who's going to grab that role. Among the crop that they have, rookies and veterans, there are two drafted wide receivers in there. That is something that is really kind of baffling to think about. Um, I don't think this offense needs three receivers. Truly receivers. I think the number three re- pass catcher, as you want, if we'll call it that, is, could potentially be a tight end. We've talked about that, the philosophy Gary Kubiak has, why tight ends are so important in his offense, using multiple tight end sets. But sticking with this receiver group, I mean, we saw earlier at practice, you know, Jeff Bad, Davion Davis, Alexander Hollins, B.C. Johnson, and Dylan Mitchell, the last two were the seventh-round draft picks uh, from this past year. None of those guys really did anything that spectacular in OTAs and minicamp. Nobody on offense really blew you away. I mean, I know Davion Davis had that last day of minicamp or the second-to-last day that he looked really good. B.C. Johnson looked good during rookie minicamp, had shaky spots at times during OTAs, looked okay during minicamp. Um, Dylan Mitchell, I know that you're 
probably going to pick him as your Mr. Mankato pick, right? I don't know if I'll have to spoil that yet. Or possibly. is that possibly? I don't want to make you go all in. But, but wait, we, we need to establish something right now. Okay. Last year, and I, I've got to give this to you, that uh, we had a big battle, Boone versus Rock Thomas. Mike Boone versus yeah. Rock Thomas. And you are the winner because Rock Thomas got cut. They had both been on the roster in some capacity, and I was holding out hope that someday my guy, Rock Thomas, would eventually surpass Mike Boone and be the number two running back on this team. But I lost. This you won. Mike Boone is on the team and actually could have a decent sized role. Oh, absolutely. Team. And I just want to say this feels like it's, uh, you know, this feels like the beginning of football season because we've turned over a new leaf. I oh, didn't yeah. think you were actually going to give me props for this on yeah. air. You and, deserve it. You, you deserve know, certainly it. Mike Boone I mean, is here and Rock Thomas isn't. It's a bad situation for Rock Thomas after getting a three-game suspension uh, for, uh, I think it was last week when it came out. I think he's going to have to rock some other possession. Uh, possession. Oh, I said possession because of the weed. I meant yeah. profession. Position. Oh, Profe- profession. Well, yeah, he ain't going to play football for an NFL team again, right? I mean, I mean he's, he's a practice squad guy who then gets suspended for a couple and games. He had, some, he had some injuries. He had the hamstring injury last year. He had some injuries in college. Can I try it again? Um, yeah. I think he's going to have to rock some other profession now. Boom. Well done. Thanks. Well done. Um, <laughs> but anyways, yes, so that was our position battle last year. I, I think it would have been great to have both of them on the team this year. There's a reason they kept him around. They were college free agents who joined the team. Um, they made the team last year. Thomas, I think it was like week after week eight uh, because of the injuries. You know, they, they waived him, then he gets on the practice squad. And they paid him quite a bit of money to keep him there. Anyways... The receiver group, because we just have so many unknowns and question marks with with the guys that we have uh, that we're looking at this week, and then when veterans get here on Friday, add some more like Jordan Taylor, Laquan Treadwell, all that into the mix. Um, it's a tough group to figure out because there's such a talent discrepancy. Like I'll go ahead and give you my five that I'm. I put a my fifth three comes out on Wednesday, and outside of Thielen and Diggs, doing this off memory right now, I believe I had BB. Jordan Taylor, and B.C. Johnson. I, I had the same except for with Dylan Mitchell. So yeah. neither one of us had Brandon Zilstra or Laquan no. Treadwell. And Zilstra's dealing with injury. We did see him out working with Eric Sugarman this morning. Uh, I believe he had like a wrap, what looked like a, not a brace, but like a wrap around his uh, left quad. So he's battling through injury. You can't be injured in training camp and expect to make the roster unless you're you know, a high draft pick or something like that. And he dealt with that stuff last year, too. I don't know. This group is really going to be the hardest to evaluate. I'm really wondering, what are they looking for in that position? Like, what can you tell me that you need, that you absolutely need from a number three receiver? Because you can get your production from Thielen and Diggs. That's fine. But what does a number three have to be? Is it going to be your third down guy? Is it going to be your red zone guy? I mean, what what do you want out of that position? Because historically, it has been your third down guy, because you think about Jarius Wright Mm -hmm. was brought in to do that. Um, But last year, they didn't really have anybody who emerged in that role. Wait, can I circle back on the fact that you only have five wide receivers? I do, I do. So you don't have six. That must mean you have four tight ends? Yes, I have, I, I, I I do. have four tight ends, I too. I have all four tight ends because I'm just thinking about Gary Kubiak here. And I'm just trying this to man do loves what, his tight ends. I'm just doing what he would do. Doing what Gary would do? I'm going to be What would Q- Gary do? W yeah, WWGKD. Yes. GK GKD. But I have to there's multiple Kubiaks on this coaching staff. Yes. Well, no one is going to ask what Clint Kubiak could do cuz I haven't even met Clint Kubiak yet. Um I'm going to that's one thing. I mean, we can get to this another time. I'm going to be very curious the influence that Gary Kubiak's going to have when this roster goes from 90 to 53 because we know he's been big with player evaluation before when he was in the non-coaching role in Denver. So, I'm sure he's dabbled in that somewhat, but he also during the draft his fingerprints were all over it. First four picks, um some of the, you know, just the emphasis on offense. So, I'm really curious when they go 90 to 53, like what what WWGKD. <laughs> I don't want an extra letter there. WWGD. Okay, fine. I just want Gary. If when you say Gary, everyone's gonna know Gary. I mean, because the Gary chant's gonna start. Gary. Gary. Um, <laughs> every time they run an outside zone play action, the start fans, like hitting your US Bank hitting Stadium. your fist on the table in <laughs> US Bank Stadium in the press box. Uh, all right. So wide receiver, then we agree, is the most interesting to watch. Um, uh, of a position. Of a group of positions that are just not all that appealing. Because a lot of the stuff for this team, as you expect with a, a roster that has this much talent, a lot of it's already set. 
Where it's going to get really interesting, in my mind, is when somebody gets dinged up. Yeah. And then it's, okay, who's got a chance now? And, and we never know um, what positions are going to be the ones that are wounded. Like last year, offensive line, we end up with Cornelius Edison, and they end up trading for Brett Jones because they were in such a bad position. And they on didn't the even line. use him. Except they for, didn't yeah, even use them. Right. Like, I mean, that just makes no sense to me. I kept ten offensive linemen on my roster, on my fifty-three. What about you? I don't remember. I don't have it in front of me. I just remember that I cut Treadwell and made I, I cut Treadwell five too. wide receivers. Yeah, I, th- I think that the run is over for Laquan Treadwell. I, I think we're um, totally done with. Hey, he's gonna this year learn to run routes. Um, but the only thing is he's got more experience and more physical talent than most of these other guys. That could, yeah, you are right. To play devil's advocate here, that could end up thrusting him into the mix just off of physical traits. But I He think, was great last year in camp. In camp. Well, right, but that's what I'm saying. If he does think, it again... I like he, to think about Green Bay Week 2 in four drop passes. Let's play What Would Gary Do? What Would Gary Do, who's never seen Laquan Treadwell before, really, except on tape comes here, sees him in person, he has a great camp, what would Gary do? Would he cut Laquan Treadwell if he has a great camp? I think Gary's keeping five wide receivers and four tight ends, and he's going to look at who's his best third down threat. Probably Chad Beebe at this point, but can Beebe stay healthy is the question. Um, I'm I'm saying if there's any scenario where he makes it, that's how he makes it is the WWGD. But my thing is, why would they have drafted two wide receivers in the seventh round if they didn't anticipate on giving both of those guys a push for a roster spot? I know. They did this before, though, with uh, Stacey Coley Coley and Rodney Rodney Adams, Adams, and neither one of them gave any sort of run to Laquan Treadwell, who, again, was just more talented. It's never been, is he talented? It's all about how does he actually play on Sundays and what does he actually produce? And the answer is not a whole hell of a lot. But in camp... He's fooled them a couple of years in a row into giving him playing time. I mean, it's it's one of the kind of funniest things that's happened over the last few years is 2017. How much better is that offense if Jerry's Wright plays all the time and not Laquan Treadwell? And it was still a really good offense. And then last year, it was like it really, truly hit them when Kevin Stefanski took over and bench Laquan Treadwell in week 16. 16. It was yeah, like, Detroit. okay. For Chad Beebe. It, right. Which it, is why Beebe's absolutely making this roster. Oh yeah, he's, he's already made an impression. If he's healthy, he's on yeah. the team. Uh, okay, so moving on from the receivers, though. Defensive line is my second most interesting because of the Hercules Mata'afa, uh, a guy who's undrafted but had great numbers in college, and Mike Zimmer shouted him out like three different times in OTAs. But they've been drafting guys here, too. And the fact that um, they bring back Shamar Stefan. Uh, anybody who heard yesterday's show remembers how great Shamar Stefan is and how much they love the Shamar Stefan. <laughs> the big fundamental. That's The big fundamental, baby. He's here to stay. I know. It's unreal. Uh, anyway. The technique. I know. Available. I'm sure he's great. Whole thing's great. 30% of snaps would be fine. But who takes the position of actually getting after the quarterback? Because Sheldon Richardson was top 10 in quarterback pressures last year, according to Pro Football Focus, and Shamar Stefan is not that guy. So who takes over there in that rotational role to get after the quarterback? Well, Mata'afa is not your traditional three technique. He's undersized, but he's fast. And I think that They've moved him around a lot since he's been here. He had the ACL tear last year, which uh, they put him on IR, and they wanted to stash him away and keep him. So they clearly see something that we just have yet to see because we've seen him in shorts during OTAs and minicamp. Um, so I'm curious, what does that rotation look like? Is this going back to 2017 where Stefan's going to play 30 to 40% of plays, and then you're going to rotate Jaleel Johnson in there every once in a while? I don't really like that idea. I would rather have Jaleel probably at nose ta- at like a, as a nose tackle. Mm. But you could or you know get this too. That's why I think I'm with you on defensive line. I think we're both in agreement. Receivers, defensive line. Um, are probably the one and two most intriguing. But on the interior, you've got Jalen Holmes, who they're really high on. He came back into camp uh, in the spring. You know, he put a lot, he put a good size onto his frame, good bit of weight. Um, and he's healthy, which he, he dealt with some injuries last year. But I think a year for him learning under Sheldon Richardson, we'll see how that panned out. So you could play him at that spot sometimes. You could play Jaleel Johnson. You could play Hercules Mata'afa. I think they have more options at three technique than maybe we think. Um, the big question here is going to be, what does Armin Watts do? 
I mean, he's the fifth guy, fourth sixth or, round pick. Yeah, sixth round pick, but the fourth or fifth ta- uh, defensive tackle that you know Andre Patterson's going to want him to play under Shamar Stefan for a year. I mean, he's not a he's not a zero tech. He's a three technique tackle. Like that is his position. He hasn't played a lot of football, so I could see him very easily on the practice squad. Um, they were just fortunate enough that they could keep Jalen Holmes on the active roster last year, but he probably should have been on the practice squad for a year too. What's your bet on the defensive line? Nine La- players. Well, not number of players, but just how good they end up being this year. I mean, the entire time that Mike Zimmer has been in Minnesota, the defensive line has been absolutely fantastic. And at one point, you've got Daniil Hunter coming into his prime with Brian Robinson, who could still play, with Linval Joseph at his absolute peak, with Everson Griffin at his absolute peak, and that. That defensive line is as good as it was in the NFL in 2017, but I feel like we go player to player, and the only guy that we can't really bring up is Hunter for a good case that they could be descending. I mean, Everson Griffin, for obvious reasons, last year after he came back, did not play particularly well. He's 31 years old. You do not have Sheldon Richardson. Tom Johnson isn't here either, and I know that you... Never, never rule out the fact that they could bring I, him back right. by week three. But you make fun of me for Tom Johnson love, but honestly, the guy was really good at his job. Did he get... He didn't sign anywhere, did he? I don't think he has. Why'd so you I, call him? I should check in. I should yeah. check in like, with TJ. Tom, how's it going? I'd be like, man, first of all, explain some football to me because you're super smart. Second of all, best. come back. Come back, bro. Come back. Uh, Linval, though, like mm-hmm. a, a year where he was dinged up and did not have the same type of season as he did in 2017 last year. Stephen Weatherly showed some nice things in limited usage last year. I wouldn't put him as a guy who I think is going to be a massive impact player for them. I mean, I look at this defensive line as being, I think, closer to mid-pack in the NFL than the top right now because of all those questions. And that's fair. Um, the the depth that they have at defensive end is not not great. Uh, I mean, outside Weatherly, of Stephen Weatherly. Aruna, Afedi Odenabo. Yeah, I mean, and I, I have uh, Odenabo making my 53. Me I mean, too, they're I really, think. really high on him. I think a lot of times, listen to the clues from coaches and from Rick Spielman, what they're saying about the players that they don't, they bring up themselves. You don't necessarily have to ask about them. That's somebody that I think both, I know Spielman did it during the draft along with Jalen Holmes. So those two, you can tell they're already catching the eye of this coaching staff and might be able to easier, in a more easy way, cement themselves a roster spot. But as it pertains to the depth at defensive end, it's Steven and Weatherly, and that's kind of it. I mean, Weatherly had a good season last year. Um, they expected him to take another step there. I mean, but they also brought Everson Griffin back because they clearly didn't think he could take on a starting role just yet. So I think that that's also telling. But I think we're going to judge this defensive line and how are they going to combat, you know, how, how, what, is, what is this pass rush going to look like when Daniil Hunter's getting, you know, has two guys assigned to him every game? Like when he's getting chipped and he's getting doubled, the whole thing. I mean, what's going to happen to, you know, can they get after the quarterback if he's going to be occupied so much? Because people know he's really damn good. Is Can they have an interior push? That was the thing last year. Like why they spent so much money in free agency to get Sheldon Richardson on the one-year deal. They wanted to be able to push the pocket, make the quarterback step high, or you know, keep him high in the pocket and then sack him, which Sheldon Richardson was phenomenal at doing that, at putting the pressure up, the moving the pressure up the interior of the of the you know of the offensive line to do that to make quarterbacks uncomfortable. Do we know if Shamar Stefan can do that on a consistent basis? I probably don't think so. I probably think he's not. More a run which is yes, he's very good against the run, but pass rush wise, it's it's why you're going to see that that's going to be a revolving door, which yep. they didn't really want, but I mean that is what it is, and that is why it was the second most interesting position to me because you could see all sorts of different scenarios at that three technique, and then if again if someone gets hurt, it's like okay now how do they reshuffle? I don't really have the answers right now. Um, we'll continue to go down the list of the most interesting positions as camp begins. It is here. It is uh, the end of summer for us and the beginning of the season. This is a, I think this is a great time for football fans because you get that you get that sniff. It's like you get that whiff of football in the background. And then what's when, it smell like? Can you describe that? A football. So you're smelling leather everywhere yeah. oh, you go? Yeah. Isn't oh, that yeah. like, yeah. shouldn't I be worried I have like a brain tumor if I just walk around smelling leather all the time? Um, I think you should see a doctor if you're smelling weird things at odd points in your life. But football, you should be smelling that all the time. That's normal. 
I don't smell it in here no, right you now. Don't smell it in here right now. No. Okay. Um, well, but that's because we're inside. You know, when I get back outside, I'm sure I that's smell probably it out there. It. Uh, but anyway, you get that whiff of football, you get the headlines, you get that sort of intrigue that starts to build, and then you get your preseason games. And if that, by preseason games, people are frothing at the mouth for I mean, football. you have people who are jacked up for, what is it, Ravens-Broncos and the uh, Hall of Fame game? I'm a little jacked up for it. I like the Hall of Fame I was game. excited for the Hall of Fame game last year only because we were going to hear from Ray Lewis and Randy Moss oh, during right, the yeah. uh, like the in between the game like during commercial breaks. That's the only reason I was excited for that. And now I'm just kind of like, oh my gosh, it's going to be as bad as it was last year. <laughs> it's, it's always bad. On that I, terrible field. I like to watch the first quarter of the Hall of Fame game because it's, it's football is officially back there are people in uniforms people coaching things on the sidelines a real football game being played of sorts and it just makes me excited so anyway uh we'll take a quick break we will be right back we'll keep going through this list of most intriguing positions as the vikings open Time for the Score North download here. Jonathan here with the download. Oh, it's a wonderful day for Purple Daily rookies. They're reporting to Vikings training camp today. It's just one more thing on the checklist we can check off as we count down to football being back. It'll truly get underway Friday when everybody is out on the field for the first time. Which rookie are you most intrigued about heading into training camp? Is it the first-round pick Garrett Bradbury, the tight ender of Smith? Whether he can produce as a rookie or is it one of the four seventh rounders that they drafted this year in the 2019 NFL draft let us know at score north that's at skor north on twitter that's been your score north download now back to purple daily all right welcome back here to purple daily one more segment for the first hour matthew collar and espn's Courtney Cronin with you. Vikings rookies here for today, tomorrow. Then they'll have a walkthrough on Thursday. Friday, the veterans are here. Sunday, the pads come on. And then it gets super duper real. We heard from Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman today at the podium. Real quick, Courtney, was there any line that you heard that you just thought, oh, classic pre-camp? Like, th- this is this is so something someone would say right before training camp when nothing's happened yet. Well, we were talking about guys that were on the street. Um, the players that you bring in. Guys on the street's good. You know, that's, that's, always a, that's always a good football term. And I think it's because of the tackle or the guard that they signed yesterday when they uh, cut Rock Thomas. Uh, another camp body and that there's still, you know, both Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer talked about churning out the bottom of the roster and, you know, finding finding some gems among the, the 90 to 53, the oh, guys yeah. that are probably not going to make the roster, but they're good camp guys and, you know, bringing more bodies in. So that, that seems like a pre-camp type topic. Okay, the one for me was when Rick Spielman was talking about um, Gary Kubiak and what exactly Gary Kubiak does here, which uh, we still don't really know. We're going to get to hear from Gary at some point, though. But he's not going to tell us. We've tried. I know we have tried. He's not going to tell us what his job is. So that's Do you why think if I make him a WWGD bracelet, he'll tell me? Maybe. Maybe if we asked him, what would Gary do? And then he'll answer with... Gary, what would you do? What he does. Yeah, bring it like that. <laughs> um, to me, it was saying, oh, those guys up in the offensive room, there's no egos there. Yeah. They just all love each other. It's football. You're never going to convince me that there's no egos. There's massive egos in football. In fact, it's one of the best things to cover in football is how everybody's egos work together or don't like last year with John Filippo. Yeah, with, he mentioned, I wrote down some of the uh, superlatives of the quote-unquote quote new system. Open-mindedness, no egos, and they're going to play to the strengths of their players. That's about as football and vanilla as you get. Not only that, but we haven't stopped taking jabs at John Filippo yet. Let him die. Yeah, let it He's go. He's dead. He works for another team now. Let it go. And every one of these compliments is a, back, a backhanded rip on John Filippo. We know he didn't use Delvin Cook enough. Thank you. Uh, speaking of which, as we were running down the most interesting positions in training camp, I had number one receiver, number two defensive line. You agreed with both of those first two. The next three that I have, running back, cornerback, and then offensive line. Do you agree with that order, or would you move that around? I would maybe move O-line up 
to three just because they do have better depth this year. That's something that they were already testing when like it was like week two of the preseason when Nick Nick Easton goes down um, and Aviant Collins is out week one for the rest of the season. So they already lost players and Tom Compton's thrust into a role he was never expected to be in. Um, so I probably would move offensive line up just a little bit because I'm really curious. Will they learn from what happened last year and want to keep 10 guys on the roster? Um, it's possible. But outside of the other two, I mean – cornerback doesn't have a whole ton of depth either. I mean, Mike Zimmer loves his cornerback depth, and he's talked about it, but does he really have any? Xavier Rhodes was hurt all last season. Is he going to be at the same form he was in 2017? Are you so confident that a bounce back's going to happen? Trey Waynes is fine. Put him in, on the side. Mackenzie Alexander, is year four, can he have a, Can he be as consistently good as he was in the second half of the season? Um, when's that going to happen? Holton Hill's gone for the first four games of the year, which is why I think Chris Boyd could find himself on the roster. And you have a rookie that is potentially your first guy off the bench because Mike Hughes is not playing for a little bit. We don't know what his timetable is going to be. Uh, maybe we'll find that out in the next uh, coming days once you know we see. I, we didn't see him out here today rehabbing. Can we trick anything. Mike Zimmer into talking about injuries in camp? I think early in camp you might be able to get mm. away with a few things because we know Mike Hughes. Uh, the timetables, they learn from Pat Elfline. Because remember last year, like the first day of camp, uh, Zimmer was asked about Pat Elfline coming off the pup because he started on preseason pup. And at that, that's a that's a list that you can be on. You can get elevated to the active roster at any time. Physically unable to perform um, is the pup. Yeah. Just in case you don't know that. And so he, remember it was going to be, oh, he'll be back soon. Well, he wasn't back till week three. And that's a problem. So I do believe that, the offensive line and finding, you know, finding your starting five, see if Drew Samia can push Josh Klein to start at right guard. That's all, that's all like pretty standard, but it's the depth behind that because you just don't have any real sort of security if Riley Reef or Brian O'Neill has to miss time. So to me, how they figure out the depth behind those guys, really behind, you know, the whole unit is going to be very intriguing. So the, the reason that I had running back ahead of cornerback is because they selected a running back in the third round and Mike Boone still here, RIP Rock Thomas. Um, but, but those two are kind of intriguing young players who haven't proven anything yet. And it's fair to ask when Delvin Cook has injuries over the first two years, what you have behind him. And Absolutely. I think the answer right now is we don't really know. I mean, we see Mike Boone for a couple of games last year in preseason, and I can't take much from that myself other than he's fast, as most running backs are. And Madison was a dominant player for Boise State, but that's Boise State. And and you also have where does Amir Abdullah fit into this whole thing? Is CJ Ham going to be somebody that they use a ton of the fullback now? So there's a lot of intrigue for me there. Offensive line, I, I I I fought over this one myself of where to rank offensive line. Like should I put it ahead of corner? I feel like since the starting five are set, that's where it's not as interesting to me. Only if we start to see Drew Samia playing first-team reps over Josh Klein, then I think we're all going to go, whoa, what is yeah. going on here? But aside from that, yeah, four there's of the no five, battles. I think four of the five are rock solid, and Klein is the only, that's the only position that I would say is potentially open. Because, yeah, they did guarantee him a lot of money. He's not going anywhere, but he's also a lower-tier starter who has fundamental issues, technique issues. So we'll see... He's like, they like Samia because he play, he's played right tackle before. He's played right guard. He gives him that versatility. He's a prototype zone blocker. Um, I don't really know if Josh Klein is. I haven't seen him do much yet. I mean, he so. played in that system before, but he wasn't he played, that great. He wasn't great. That's the problem. So, I mean, especially last year um, with how poorly he played. So, we'll see. Running back is intriguing. I mean... I could go either way. If you wanted to put running back three, offensive line four, running back four, offensive line three, I could go either way with that. But what? how are, how much are they going to play Dalvin Cook in the preseason? I wouldn't. Um, Not much, I don't think. They didn't last year, and he was coming off injury. I mean, this year he's finally healthy. I wouldn't do it either. How much are they going to play Alexander Madison early on in the season. Are you going to want to work or keep Dalvin Cook on a pitch count just to keep him fresh? Probably not. No, I think but, I think they're going to play the hell out of Dalvin Cook. I just 
Where's the line, though? For this is a guy that you know can. There should be no line. They should just play the hell out of him. And if and if and if he gets I, hurt, then what? What's your backup plan? Well, okay. You gonna, I, do you really think that Alexander Madison is going to be Latavius Murray? So I understand that, but they put him on a pitch count last year, and he reaggravated his injury anyway. I, I I think that you, when it comes to running backs, and this is a savage approach to this, but you should just play the absolute heck out of them and then let them go after a couple years. So if Dalvin Cook is healthy, then you run him 280 times and you throw him the ball 60 times and you do it again next year and then you draft somebody else after that. I mean, That's the way I would approach the running back position. That's the way the NFL is probably going to start approaching it. And I mean, this is going to be an interesting camp all around just to follow from a league-wide perspective, what they do with Melvin Gordon, where he ends up, if he's going to stay with the Chargers and just you know sit out, which he shouldn't because his contract's going to toll. Um, but yeah, that's a terrible move for him. You mean yeah, you that, just play and take the money. I know, but it's just it, it's going to be really intriguing because Dalvin's contract is you know he's he's eligible to re up going after the season after his third year because he's second round picks so he's on a four year deal um so that's going to be intriguing though because he knows he's got to have a knock it out of the park season because yep. they would end up i believe paying him quite a bit of money i think they would too. if he has a good year but does that mean that you would mon- want to monitor him because i don't know if he needs training wheels anymore but i do know that injuries have been a problem so you ask yourself okay we don't. Do we want to like just run this guy into the ground? Because is he going to be? Because if we resign him and then he's in a completely different state in year four, was it worth it? I, I mean, that's the question you got to ask yourself. Yeah, I, I just look at it as if you drafted him in the second round and he gave you basically three good years, calling last year a good year still, and then these next two years good, then you've gotten everything you should get out of a running back, and then move on from him, and don't even worry about the future right now. And if he's going to get hurt, he's going to get hurt. A lot of injuries are just random anyway. I mean, the hamstring last year was connected probably to the ACL. Absolutely so, was. It was in the same leg. And so that the, always happens. So the fact that you have this now fully healthy offseason, I don't know if he's going to get hurt. Nobody does. You might as well just play him way more than everyone else because he's better at the football. Well, I also think that you might want to consider like really and truly utilizing a two-back system because you, you, they never really did that. They no. never were. They never were able to do that with Latavius Murray and Dalvin Cook, as they kind of had alluded to, maybe wanting to do that. But also, I mean, like, look at what how new, successful New Orleans was with that in their offense. Like, why can't other teams adapt that concept? That's what I just don't understand. When it truly is a two back league. Okay, so when we come back, there's going to be an abbreviated hot routes because I've got a few things to run by you, and then what is the least intriguing position at Vikings training camp? We will ask that. When we return, yes, the Vikings are back on a practice football field, at least the rookies for now. The uh, Friday, the veterans show up, and uh, Courtney and I will be covering it all. The South Dakota Stories, Volume 1. She was a city girl, but always somewhere else in her head. Somewhere where bison roam, rivers flow, and people get their hiking boots dirty. Like, actually dirty. So one day she fled west and discovered this place of beauty, history, and a delicious taste of adventure. But before she knew it, she was driving away with memories to share and the hopes of returning. Because there's so much South Dakota, so little time. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. 